Anybody feeling tired? We need more coffee, that's right. Anybody feeling kind of sick, have a cold? Anybody? Uh, anybody feeling just kind of, uh, you know, like you're ready to take a long vacation? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in that category. Um, anybody, this is going to be a strange question, but anybody here dying? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I hate to break. I hate to be the one to break this to you, but you're all dying. <laughs> okay, I hate to be the one to tell you, but you're all headed towards death. Okay, that's the good news this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so you know, the bottom line is, those of you that are tired, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> those of you that are sick, you know, it's going to get worse. Isn't that good news? Okay, let's pray and go home. <laughs> Get out the walkers and the wheelchairs. Um, actually, that's not the good news. That's the bad news. But 1 Corinthians 15 gives us some better news. Um, and that is that it's true we are all destined and headed for death and destruction. But for us, it's not the ultimate end. For us who believe and have put our faith and trust in Christ, we look forward to a resurrection. We look forward today that even though this body will die, when we will get a new body resurrected that will live forever. And, and Paul explains what that body is like in the second half of 1 Corinthians 15. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the first portion of this chapter where, where Paul describes why there must be a resurrection and how that Jesus is the first fruit of that resurrection. And then we all look forward to sharing and participating in the same exact kind of resurrection that Jesus did. And the people in Corinth, there was a group there who uh, did not believe in the resurrection. And a lot of it came out of Greek thinking. Now for us in our day and age, especially if you've grown up in the church, uh, if you've been in the church a lot, you know, we look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to life in heaven. But for the Greeks, they really had this strange dualism that saw the earthly body as an evil thing and our soul as being imprisoned in this, in this body. And they saw death as ultimately setting our soul and our spirit free and they couldn't imagine why you would want to have a body in the next life because they saw the body as just this prison that, that entraps us and keeps us from experiencing true freedom. And so Paul had to correct that thinking and in it he gives us some great things to look forward to. So let's look at this uh, second half of chapter 15. And he starts with just a dumb question. And Paul, in all of his uh, tact and diplomacy, starts off in uh, verse 35 by saying, But some of you may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will we have? What a stupid question! Okay, and actually in the Greek he says, you are asking a stupid question. You know, just in his great tact, okay, had this great way of saying, you idiots! What are you thinking? All right? Get a clue. Get a grip. And he was, uh, um, in his so subtle way, challenging that they thought they were so smart. And the Corinthians were very arrogant and proud. They thought they had all the answers. And in his very casual, subtle way, was trying to point out to them they weren't as smart as they thought. And he goes, this is simple stuff. You should know this. He says, simply, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. 
And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a dry little seed of wheat or whatever it is you are planting. Then God gives it a new body, just the kind he wants it to have. A different kind of plant grows from each kind of seed, and just as there are many different kinds of seeds and plants, so there are different kinds of flesh, whether humans, animals, birds, or fish. There are bodies in the heavens, and there are bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the beauty uh, of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their beauty and brightness. He talks about resurrection, and here he gives three different pictures to help describe what resurrection is. The first picture he gives is that of a seed in a plant. Um, and he says, you know, you take a seed, and the tiny little seed gets put into the ground. And in order for it to produce a plant, it must die and be buried. Great picture of what death is for us. Uh, we die and we're buried, we're planted in the ground, and, in, and someday the picture is we'll sprout a new body. Okay, now of course, Paul's point here is that what's planted is much different than what grows. Okay? Uh, a seed doesn't grow up something that looks just like a bigger seed. It really produces a whole different kind of plant. And yet there is a, very much a connection to the seed that's planted and the plant that grows. And of course we know a lot about genetics that Paul didn't know, but, we could, but, but the image in the picture still fits very well. When you put a seed in the ground, all the genetic information for what it will be is in the original seed. But the plant that grows is so much more than just the seed. It's all in there, but its glory, its, its size, its beauty, its splendor is so much more than just the seed. And so he talks about this picture. And he says that each plant is given according to the seeds it's planted. So if you have a corn seed, you put, go out and hoe the ground, dig it up, put, make a hole, put the seed into the ground, and up will come corn on the cob, right? A big corn on the cob actually attached to, attached to a stalk and leaves, okay? You plant corn, you don't expect a pumpkin plant to grow, right? It corresponds to the seed that's planted. If you plant a petunia, you don't expect a duck to pop out of the ground, okay? You expect to get flowers, some kind of little pretty flower. And the seed determines what the plant will be. Okay, that's how it works. And uh, he, he goes on to say, so that's, that's the the picture of the seed, and we'll talk about what these all mean in a second. The second picture he gives is that of a body given for different environments. He said, God can make all kinds of bodies. And he says, some are humans, some are animals, some are fish, some are birds. And the picture there is that a body has been designed and created by God to suit the environment that it lives in. Uh, God has created fish for water. He has specifically given birds a body that's designed for, for the air and for flight. Um, he has not given us that kind of body, which I learned when I was about six years old. I was convinced I could fly. And through a few pain, painful experiences, I discovered we were not given that kind of body. Cardboard and all, you know, it just doesn't fly. Um, God designs things for their environment, and he designs things to fit... Uh, specifically where he put them. Um, interestingly, uh, when we look at the way the world sees us, the world sees that uh, fish weren't designed that way, they just evolved that way. 
that birds weren't designed that way, they just evolved that way. Uh, it's interesting, though, as we get more um, greater understanding of how all this works with biology and genetic engineering, that we have been able to engineer and, and ourselves design things genetically to fit certain environments. Uh, it's striking to me that we do that through great intelligence, intellect, and design, not by evolving it. You know, if you want to raise or breed a dog to be good at retrieving things in the water, we used to have this yellow lab. This dog was bred and lived for the water, loved to swim. Now that breed of dogs did not evolve by somebody taking their pet poodle and throwing it out into a lake every day until suddenly out popped dogs that love the water. Instead, they designed that breed through planning and design and intelligence so that it was designed to love water and love retrieving, by the way. It was bred into it, not by just chucking out into the lake every day, but by carefully selecting and breeding, engineering that thing to fit that environment. Well, God is the designer. And Paul's image here is that God knows how to design a body for its environment. Okay? Third picture he gives, and we'll tile these together, what it means in a second. Third picture is he says there are bodies with different kinds of glory. And he talks about heavenly bodies, and here he's talking about the planets and the stars versus the earthly body. And he says that the moon, the sun, the stars all have a different kind of glory. Um, God says that he can make different kinds of bodies, bodies that are with arms and legs and limbs, but even heavenly bodies. And it's interesting that we call them that. Um, the point is, any body, any shape, any size, fit to its purpose. Well, he sums all this up by making this statement in verse 42. He says, it is the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies, which die and decay, will be different when they are resurrected, for then they will never die. Our bodies now disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. They are weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. They are natural human bodies now, but when they are raised, they will be spiritual bodies. For just as there are spiritual bodies, uh, for just as there are natural bodies, so there are spiritual bodies. Uh, his point of all these pictures and these analogies is, simp is simply a couple of things. First of all, we will be receiving a resurrected body that is vastly different than the body we have now. Uh, it will have capacities and abilities far beyond what our body is now. But the seed illustration reminds us that we will be the same people. Okay, we don't lose our identity, and a great deal of our identity is wrapped up in our body, and I don't understand it all, but for some reason God has determined that our relationship with him and our relationship with each other our existence best is suited to a body and that we'll possess this body here on earth but also throughout all eternity we will exist in a bodily form. We will have a body and it will be, we know from Jesus' body that it will be similar to this one uh, but in many ways radically different. And in this passage Paul contrasts our, our connection with our earthly life versus this, this new kind of existence. And it's important for us to know that we as a person will not be changed. Uh, our personality, our history, who we are as a person will continue on throughout all eternity, thankfully redeemed in many ways. Okay, thankfully, 
healed and restored. Our inner person will become its full potential in heaven. Um, even though the body that we possess now will be radically altered. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, in fact, he, 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 he describes the change. He says, first of all, this body is planted, it dies, it's planted in the ground as a body of decay, as a body of death. And it's raised immortal and undying. The truth is this body is very prone to sickness and disease and injury and infection and allergies. Uh, you know, we all have experienced some of the flaws of this body. It does get sick. It gets tired. Uh, if you run into very hard objects at a fast speed, you get bruises, right? And you can cut yourself. It is a body that is prone to destruction, to decay. Uh, not only that, but it is, it is prone to internal turmoil as well. Uh, it can get depressed. It can get discouraged. It can just get flat, flat tired and fatigued and worn out. Uh, if you don't take care of this body, you can burn it out, and you can end up just a crumpled <coughs> lump on the floor, okay? Wiped out, discouraged, and sobbing, you know, sobbing endlessly. You can do that to this body if you're not careful with it, because it's not eternal. It doesn't. It is not indestructible. It is sown, as he said, in corruption. It is prone to decay, to discouragement, to emotional and physical and spiritual wearing out. Um, in addition, this sin, this body is sown in the corruption of sin. This body is very prone, at least this body is, I don't know about your body, but this body is very prone to temptation. Okay, it's easily enticed to do things it shouldn't do. And I have to keep, you know, as Paul said, buffeting my body and beating it, making it my slave. Because if I left it to its own end, it would get me in all kinds of trouble and lead me to all kinds of problems and temptation and sin. In addition, it is prone to the effects of sin. Guilt and bitterness and anger and anxiety and fear. All of those, he says, are the body of corruption that's sown into the earth. And the good news is, when you bury it, it stays buried forever. Okay? Uh, nobody's going to resurrect this old body. Okay? We get to put it in the ground with all of its problems, sickness, disease, depression, discouragement tiredness, and it never has to get up again someday. Hallelujah. Right? And we're going to get a body, he says, that is immortal, that is beyond decay and beyond all those things. It is raised incorruptible. It will not get sick. It will not discour get discouraged. It will never be depressed. It will never burn out. And, and eternity is a really long time. You know, it's a good thing it won't burn out. Because eternity is a really, really long time for it to get tired, right? Uh, the body is sown in all this weakness, this immortality. It is raised... Um, it, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. Sown in mortality. It is raised in immortality. He says also it's sown... Um, bodies that are... In the New Living, it says bodies are sown that disappoint us. Literally, it means, it says, sown in dishonor or shame. But they are raised in glory. Now, I'm going to get personal here. All of us have things we don't like about our bodies. Okay? 
Uh, and if you, if, you, if you could honestly say, there's absolutely nothing I don't like about my body, you know, just ask your friend what's wrong with your body. They'll help you out. <laughs> Maybe there's just parts of your body you can't see, and uh, they'll help you out. Chances are all of us have something we don't like about our body. Um, and we know that's true because of the money we spend and the time we spend fixing up our body, uh, painting it, pasting it, reshaping it, uh, paring it down, bulking it up, stretching it, changing its color, you know, all these things. We spend billions of dollars at beauty shops and at fitness clubs, right? And on potions and lotions to, you know, change it and fix it, right? And we get our teeth fixed and we can get our nose fixed and we can get our eyes fixed and we can, you know, we can fix stuff. And, you know, once, and the thing is, once you get it all fixed and looking perfect, then time goes by and it unfixes it all, right? And uh, you get yourself all beefed up and pumped up and looking like the Hulk. And, you know, you can't just stop there because if you let it go, all the stuff that's here kind of sags down to here, right? And it just, it doesn't last very long. He says our bodies are, sh or our bodies that disappoint us, uh, that, that gains weight in the wrong places, that has hair. This is my problem. I, where I want hair, I don't have hair. It's going away. Where I don't want hair, it's everywhere. Okay, I like, have this, like, this coat under my shirt, and I hate it. Okay? There are things we would like to change. There are things we would like to fix. He says, we get to put that in the ground and leave it there. Okay? And we get to be raised with a body that is glorious. Everything you don't like about yourself, everything you'd like to fix. You know, I hate getting old. I hate this getting old thing. In the last couple of years, I'm getting now where I, I have to have glasses to read. And it's bad enough reading, but where I really hate it is when I have to fix things. And it never feels things break at night and it's, the light's not good. And it's always tiny things, little tiny things. And they like tiny screws and parts. And I can't see. And I just get so frustrated. It's like, I... Mm, I used to be able to fix stuff like this because I could see it. Now I can't see. My eyes are failing. My hearing's getting, you know, all those things go down. They go downhill. We get to bury that body and we get raised to a new life that is perfect. He says we are it is a body that is raised in glory. It will be perfect. You will have a beauty and a splendor about you that is, that is stunning. Okay, you will make the biggest supermodels and the biggest macho guys on this world look like, like anemic, just ugly people because you will be so together. And you will have a body that we will wear with great pride and glory. And, you know, you can see. I can't wait for that day. I will be able to see and fix things and read. And I can read the map on the back of the wall without glasses. And we, can, we will have capacities and abilities that we just don't possess now. And strength, planted in, in, in dishonor, raised in glory. Um, he says that it will, it's planted in weakness, it will be raised in power. Uh, these bodies are weak. Uh, and in, in many capacities, we are limited in our physical capacity. And as we get older, we get weaker. And even the strongest of us have limits in our physical capacities. Likewise, we have limits in our mental capacities to think, to remember, to memorize, to understand. And again, you know, you may think you have those things now, 
Those of you who are in high school, you may think you're smart and you can remember. Trust me, in 20 years, it goes away and you forget it all. All right? And you're going to think, man, what was that guy's name? The, my best friend in high school, you know, the goofy looking guy. What was his name? I forgot. It goes away. But we will have expanded capacities to grasp and understand and remember. Uh, as God supercharges and gives us a body that is whole and complete. By the way, this uh, kind of this notion a lot of people have that when we get to heaven, we'll instantly know everything. Like we won't have to know, we won't have to ask questions about God because somehow we'll just know all about God. It's not true. The Bible never says that. We will have an increased capacity to learn and understand and remember. But I really believe that a great chunk of eternity, all of eternity. We will spend learning and growing and studying God and his history and his, his, his hand at work in the universe and exploring and learning. But the cool thing is we will have a new capacity for that to grasp and understand things that now uh, we, we strain to understand. You know, we look at the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and we fight about it because we really don't understand it. See, in heaven we won't have to fight because we'll actually understand it. And our mind will be able to grasp these seemingly contradictory concepts. Because we will have new mental ability. Same thing is true emotionally and spiritually. We will have capacities that right now are sown in, in weakness, but then will be raised in strength and power and ability. Uh, finally, he says that we are sown as physical bodies, and this is probably the most important part of the whole chapter, he says, we're, we're sown, what is sown in the ground is a physical body. What is raised is a spiritual body. Now, for some of us, that may seem kind of like an oxymoron. How can a body have a spirit? And certainly that would have been true for the Greeks. So they would have thought, a spiritual body, those things are mutually exclusive. It's either a spirit or it is a body. You can't have a spiritual body. But Paul argues for that. In fact, the next major point, he, he builds on this very concept. And uh, he uses Adam and Jesus to explain it. And he says, how can, how can something be a spiritual body? And what is the difference between a spiritual body and a physical body? And this is how he explains it. He, he, he says in verse 45, Scripture tells us, the first man, Adam, became a living person, a living soul, a breathing uh, entity animated by the life and breath of this world. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Uh, powerful image there. Uh, Adam was created, and if you go to the account in Genesis, God made him out of the dust of the earth, and it says that God had to breathe his life into him. So we are creatures that are dependent on that life coming into us. And the life force that we all possess now is illustrated by our breathing. When we're breathing, it's a good sign. Everybody, everybody breathe on your hand. Okay, that means you're dying, but you're not dead yet. Okay, if you blow and nothing comes out, it's over. Okay, you're dead. Uh, that's the, the life force that lives in us. And we, as it is, breathe and live the air of this world. Okay, we are made of the dust of the ground. Um, but Jesus, it says first of all, was not created, but he is a life-giving spirit. The spirit life that he possesses is one that pours out life. I love in John 1, it talks about 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was God. The Word was, was with God. And it says that this, this, this light was the life of men. Jesus himself is life, and life flows out from him. And in his resurrected life, he possesses a life that doesn't depend on an outside source. He is life in its source in himself. And he will be the one who is the source of our life in the spiritual body. And he goes on, he says, what came first was the natural earthly body, uh, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Every being has an earth, every human being has an earthly body just like Adam's, but our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ. Just as now we are like Adam, or in Adam's image, the man of the earth, so we will someday be like Christ, we will have the image of Christ, the man from heaven. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is simply this, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. Uh, Paul basically paints this picture that there are two different kinds of bodies. One is made of the dust of this earth and is connected to the matter of this universe. Uh, Jesus, when he rose again, did not possess that kind of body. Uh, one of the best pictures or ways to illustrate this is to look at guys like Lazarus. Lazarus was raised back to life, but he really wasn't resurrected like Jesus was. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus was the first one to shed and put in the ground this old earthly body, this body of dust that breathes the air of this world, to be raised with a new kind of body that's made out of a totally different substance that no longer breathes the air of this world, but breathes the very air and presence of God, a life-giving spirit. This body... Uh, Paul says Adam was made of the dust. It says literally he's this dusty guy. Adam is this dusty guy created from dust, a life of dust. When he dies, he goes back to dust. That's what we are. You know, you can dress it up fancy and pretty clothes, but the bottom line is you're all just dust balls, all right? Okay? You are, you are mineral. You know, you, if you look at your, your vitamin bottle, you, you eat things like copper and zinc and iron, okay? You're just a bunch of metal with a lot of water poured on top, okay? And somehow it, by God's grace, comes to life. But someday it dies and we put that metal all back in the ground where it came from and uh, somebody can make a car out of it later. And we are raised with a new kind of body that is not made of the substance of this world. That's the main point. We receive a body that is substantially different. It is its substance is spiritual, but it is nonetheless still a body. We will have a visible, tangible, real body. When Jesus came, it wasn't just a, an image or a, a, a picture. It wasn't just a hologram, some kind of like, you know, Star Trek kind of thing, you know, where you got this hologram. He was real. It was a real body, but it was made of substance, not of this world, not of this universe. And so that body will be suited for... God's spiritual realm and spiritual kingdom. Uh, it will not be subject to the physical laws of this universe. Now we know from Jesus' example that he could interact with this world. He came to this world, his disciples saw him, he ate. Uh, but he also walked through walls. He also 
uh, was not subject to the physical laws of this universe. You will have a body that will be subject to the laws of heaven, that will be made of the substance of heaven. And Paul says simply, this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, this body cannot breathe the air of heaven. More, I think more, more clearly, this body cannot exist in the air of God's presence. Uh, in fact, you look throughout Scripture, and, and Moses came as close as anybody to seeing God. He said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your presence. And God says, okay, I'll let you get a sneak peek, tiny little glimpse, but I will not show you my face. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this picture that if we were to really see God's presence, it would do what to us? It would kill us. This body is not able to stand in God's presence. Okay? It needs something spiritual. And so uh, we must bury it. We must put it in the ground, leave it behind forever, but we will be raised with a new kind of body that is able to breathe the air of God's presence and live in his midst. Uh, one side note, real, real quick, on this idea of the fle- our flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And it's simply this. There, there, there's an idea going around in the church today that God's kingdom is, um, is come to earth. And I believe that's true in part. God's kingdom rule and influence is come to earth. But in some parts of the church, this has taken on a very physical expression. And this, it's being taught that God's kingdom on earth means that we should experience health and wealth in this world. That, we, that this body should no longer be subject to its corruption and sin and death here and now. Well, Paul, in this passage, kills that idea. He says the only cure and solution for this body is to bury it, okay, and get rid of it and raise a new kind of body. Does that mean that God won't heal? Well, I believe God does heal, but he doesn't heal because it's a kingdom promise, because he somehow is renewing his kingdom in our physical body. This flesh and blood cannot inherit God's kingdom. The work that God does to heal or to bless us or provide for us, is so that this body can serve him until its days are over. Not as a sign of his coming kingdom. That work is a work that's done spiritually within us. We've got to be very careful that we don't build this expectation that says, well, God's kingdom has come, and therefore I have a right to healing, and I have a right to wealth, and I have a right to comfort. Paul makes it very clear that this world is not God's kingdom. This world, along with this body, are doomed to death and destruction. It will all be done away with. And the new will come, and when that new comes, it will be on a much different realm. And it won't be physical. It won't be of this earth. Um, Okay. There is a plan B. Uh, And the good news is that some of you may get to take the plan B option. Plan A is you're all dying, and given enough time, you know, we'll all be planted in the ground. But there's a plan B. And this is plan B. He says, but let me tell you a wonderful secret God has revealed to us. It's called plan B, my own paraphrase. Not all of us will die, but we will all be changed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink, blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, For when the last trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died, those who have died in Christ, will be raised with transformed bodies, 
And then all the rest of us who are living will be changed so that we will never die. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into the heavenly bodies that will never die. Uh, it's interesting, Paul here uses the, the inclusive plural, plural pronoun, we. He says, the good news, some of us will not die. We will be changed living. Uh, Paul had this great anticipation that he was going to get to see this happen. Of course, he didn't. But that's okay because he will be raised someday and given a new body. But each generation that's living lives with this prospect that Jesus' com coming, Jesus' return, is imminent and will be sudden. The promise is that Jesus could come back at any moment. Tomorrow could be the great day. And for those of us living at that time, we will not taste death. But he says, the old body's still got to go. Okay, we won't die, but this flesh has still got to be changed. And in that moment, it says in an atom, uh, the, the, the Greek word atom literally means something that is indivisible. It's so small, it can't be divided. Uh, which, of course, now we know would be a really poor name for an actual atom because it's been divided and has many parts. But that was the idea of something so small it can't be divided. The idea was a, a, a fraction of time so small it couldn't be divided. In that, in that sudden instant, Jesus will return. And when he does, the dead in Christ will be raised. They'll get new bodies, new lives. And those of us still living, if it's you and I, will be changed and given new bodies. Um, and he, he concludes by saying this. When this happens when our perishable earthly bodies have been changed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, the good news is, at that moment, Jesus' final and complete victory over sin and death will be accomplished. I think, for me personally, when I think about this, I, I understand a little bit about Jesus' victory over sin. Uh, when we come to the cross, we realize the burden and condemnation that sin brings, and we pray and we trust Jesus, and we experience forgiveness, Right? We experience the lifting of that burden and the making new of our inward life in Christ. And there's a sense in which we have a taste of that final victory in Jesus removing guilt, removing shame, removing blame from us. And we have the sense that we've been made clean. Uh, we have been made holy by the blood of Christ. But to be honest, I have no idea what it means to be made alive again. Because every day I live in a body that reminds me that it's dying. I stub my toe, I fall, you know, I get a cold, I try to fix something and I can't see, and I am reminded that this body is dying. Uh, how great it will be on that day when we come to f fully understand what this means. That not only is sin taken away, but its deadly consequences are undone. We will die, but that death is temporary. It is a short-term deal. Now you might be going, you know, like Moses died a really long time ago. I wouldn't call that short-term. 
You know, it's been like, I don't know, a long time. And if I die, you know, it's probably going to be, it could be a long, long time more. And I don't know, and the Bible doesn't really explain or give details about um, what, what happens to us when we die. But I really uh, would like to believe, I guess I can say, that, that the nature of, of eternity is one that, for us, the experience will be very sudden. For the experience will be one of death, and very shortly after that, we will be coming to life with our new bodies. And, and Jesus will return. And in that day, we will understand the total victory of Christ over sin and death. And we will experience anew this wonderful sense that, man, I got this cool body. It looks good. It's strong. Man, I can run fast. I can think quick. I can memorize. I can do mathematical equations I never, I never even understood. And I can just, they're like nothing. And, uh, and I can remember people's names. I just met Moses last week, and I remember all of his kids, just like that. He showed me their pictures, you know. We're going to have these capacities. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to come to the realization that we will no longer live with the death looming on the horizon. The reality is now we live, for all of us, we deny it and we live in, in blindness to it often, but the reality is all of us live with death looming right there on the horizon. But in that day, that will be gone. And we will have life eternal. And Paul says, thank God for that. Thank God that through Christ we have victory over sin and death. Uh, The good news of the gospel is that we possess this kind of life as a gift of of, of Christ's death on the cross. Well, that's all great and, and well and good. But you may be saying, you know, that just seems so far away. And it's honestly hard to get real excited about it because it's kind of unfathomable. And it's, it is distant. And the reality is that most of us believe we're going to live at least a couple more weeks, probably like 20 or 30 more years. You know, I'm not the youngest guy in the world, but I'm still hoping I'm only about halfway done. Uh, And so I think, you know, I still have half of my life left. That seems to me like a very long time. And so we live with this concept far in the distance as something that has no real bearing on our life today. Uh, Does this have anything to do with the here and now? Does this have anything to do with my life today? Well, for Paul it did. And he closes this passage by these simple words. He says, So, my dear brothers and sisters... Be strong and steady. Be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is, is ever useless. The truth is that this, this concept of, of eternal life, of a, of a new body that will live forever, <clears throat> ought to have great implications for us today. And Paul says, he names basically two. He says the first one is that we should be unmoved in our faith. Unmoved, immovable, unshaken. We should be like dead weight when it comes to our faith. Absolutely certain and confident that all of Jesus' promises are true. That all of this will happen exactly as he has promised it would. That Jesus will unfold the, the future of the ages, the end of the earth, 
his coming and his resurrection, our being made new and alive in Christ, we should be unmoved in those truths, unshaken in them, absolutely confident in total faith in the work of Christ on the cross. Um, Don't let the world discourage you that those things are lies. They are the truth, and they are the truth of God's word, and we must stand unshaken and unmoved in those things. But secondly, he says, um, we should be unceasing in our labor. We should be unceasing in our labor. Well, what's the connection there? Why, did he, why does he say that? What is living with this cool resurrected body in the future got to do with working ourselves to death here and now? Okay, what's the connection? Um, it's interesting, uh, earlier in, in, in chapter 15, Paul talks about uh, the power of the resurrection in his own life. And he says uh, in verse 10, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special grace on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than all the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Uh, and Paul was not ashamed of the fact that he was determined to burn himself out for God. I mean, he, he was not conservative about his about pacing himself, okay? He was a lunatic, okay? He just made another few cups of coffee and he headed out out the door and he was determined to invest every day to its fullest, laboring for the gospel. What's the connection between, you know, you know, getting this cool, which by the way, we don't get wings. Did you catch that? There's no wings. Sorry, no wings. This future in eternity, without wings, in this new body, uh, and working ourselves so hard in, for the gospel today? Well, I think uh, the answer to that would be really in the words of Jesus, where Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust, rust, rust and moth, moth and rust, uh, corrupts and destroys, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where you're going to be living for a very long time. The reality is that we, every day, have the opportunity to invest in our future. We have the opportunity to save up today for our eternal future inheritance. And both Paul and Jesus challenge us that that is what we should be living for. Every labor we do as a gift of worship, as an act of worship, as a gift of service to God, Paul says we'll have eternal benefit. He says none of that labor will be useless or will be empty or will be futile. Everything we do, no matter how large or small, no matter how seemingly insignificant it may be to us, someday it will have benefit for us in eternity. Okay, it will pay. Here's the deal. You know, you're going to have this cool body it's going to be strong, it's going to be smart, it's going to be so good looking. It's going to be really drag if you're poor. Because eternity is a long time to be poor. And you're going, well, it's not going to be so bad because, hey, it's heaven. How bad can it be? And that's true. You know, it's going to be a good place. And you can live there for a long time poor. And it'll be better than earth. But, but what, if, what if you could send ahead treasure that you'll be able to enjoy for eternity? Wouldn't that make sense? After all, this body and this life is just going to get planted in the ground. 
So all the work that you do for the benefit of this body has very, very little long-term value. And yet we work very hard to treat it well. We work very hard so that we can feed it hot fudge sundaes and, and take good care of it. Wouldn't it make even more sense to do all that and even more for our eternal future body? That's what Paul's saying here. He says, you have the chance to be storing up treasures in heaven, so make every day count. Abound in your labor in Christ. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take days off and we don't need rest. We need to take care of this body because you are dying, but you don't need to die sooner than God intended. So take care of your body. Get some rest. Take a break. um, Take a nap once in a while. But at the same time, make every effort to make every day count for God's kingdom. This past week at our children's home was a busy week. Uh, We're trying to get all the kids' paperwork. Most of the kids are tribal, and they just don't have the right documentation. And uh, it's real important in Thailand that they have all this paperwork, mountains of paperwork. So we've been working trying to get it. So we had all their guardians, aunts, uncles, grandparents come and we gave them lists of all the paper we needed to bring. Almost all the kids could come except for Nuki, and she's our little, one of our youngest ones. She's two and a half, three, three and a half years old. Um, her mom died of AIDS, and she was raised by her grandmother, who's 76 years old. <coughs> and um, all the parents were going to come, but not Nuki's grandma. And so we thought, well, that's kind of sad. We've got to do this. So I I felt like I felt like I should I should help out, and she's too old. She wouldn't ride on the bus by herself, so I said, "Okay, we'll go pick you up." And she lives all the way down in Dock. It's like three hours away, three and a half hours away. And there's a lot of other things I could have been doing that day. A lot of things I could have been doing. Certainly, a lot of things I would rather have been doing than driving, you know. But the cool thing is that uh, we went and got her, we brought her up, uh, and Nuki's aunt, and she got to. Nuki was excited and blessed to see her grandmother. That night we had our, um, we have kind of a cell group every night with all the children's home and staff. And the cool thing is we got to share the gospel with this aunt. And uh, got to share with her very clearly Jesus' love for her and his death on the cross. I don't know if she's going to get saved. I don't know if the gospel is going to pierce her heart or not. But you know what? It doesn't matter in terms of its benefit in my own life as an act of service to God. Paul says everything you do has benefit. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is useless. And you may think a lot of days you spend, you're serving God, and you know you're not like preaching grand sermons to thousands of people. You're not seeing hundreds of people come to Christ. You're not doing things that, that the world says, or even sometimes the church says is significant. It's okay. If you do it as an act of service to God, here's the cool thing. If you're in 10th grade and you have to do like an English assignment, if you do it in service to God as, as an act of worship, say, God, my job right now is, is English, you know, and it's not very exciting. But I'm going to do it for you because really that's the only motive I can get right now. The Bible says it can have value. Someday in eternity it will pay off that you did it as an act of service and obedience to Christ. Everything in life can count for eternity if we do it for him. Let's pray. Father, it is really just amazing when we consider and reflect on our future. 
And Lord, we, uh, we are so short-sighted when we think about our future. We think about what's going to happen when we graduate from high school. We wonder if we're going to get married someday or have children. We wonder where we're going to get a job or work or uh, when this project we're working on is going to be finished. Lord, our vision is so short-sighted. Help us, Father, to see the long-term picture, not the five-year or ten-year goal, but the millennium goal, the goal of our eternity in your presence, where we will live forever with resurrected new bodies that reflect your glory in ways we can't imagine, where we will be able to breathe the very air of your presence in ways we can only taste in small shadows today. Lord, we, uh, we want to worship you, but honestly, in this body, you seem so distant. Lord, help us to grab hold in faith that one day we will fully experience your glory with a body that was suited and built to see you and understand you and to absorb the fullness of your wonder and majesty. And then we will worship you. Then we will give you praise. And then our life on this earth will gain meaning and significance we can't imagine. Lord, help us to live with that picture of of eternity and of our future in mind. Lord, I pray that this word would encourage us, especially anyone here this morning who may be just discouraged and worn out. Lord, we pray that these words would be a source of great encouragement as we stand steadfast and immovable trusting in your word and your promise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.